0: Hello, and welcome back to the Dropping in Surf Show. My name is Rob Case. I am a paddling technique coach located in Northern California. And today I'm gonna talk some more paddling uh, because I want to, and mostly because I've been hearing a lot of misinformation out on the internet, uh, in social media about this topic. The topic has to do with the difference... Well, it has to do with the S-stroke, what people call the S-stroke, and I want to give you a little bit of history first on the research behind the S-stroke, or the upside down question mark, or the zigzag stroke. It's been called many different things. Then I'm going to talk to you specifically about some more modern research that has been done on it. Uh, when I say modern, it's within the last decade. Um, and then I want to finish off by talking about, you know, how how this affects surfing specifically, and and how you might be able to use this information for yourself. Um, so I'm not necessarily going to give you any defined answers, but it might lead you down a road that might help you with your paddling and really with this debate on you know, what sort of hand pattern should we be using when we paddle? Um, And again, I might not answer that specific question, but we're going to learn a little bit more about the origins of this hand pattern and why people are so fascinated with it and what they kind of get wrong about it. So let's really quickly give you a brief history on swim research specifically because that's where the story begins it begins actually back in 1971 and late 60s early 70s there was a swim coach named james councilman doc councilman is what they named him let me see if i got a picture of him i got a picture of him here somewhere here we go so this is the the book he released the science of swimming. And, and Doc was kind of the first person to start to look at uh, science um, with his swimmers that he coached. Uh, And they were college swimmers uh, going on to the Olympics. Um, Now, you got to keep in mind, this is early 70s. So technology wasn't super advanced in terms of research and it was very early in the process of looking at you know using science in sport well i should say in swimming specifically i'm not sure about using in sport at that at that time frame but essentially what he determined through some it was science it was a scientific process and scientific method and through his studies and experiments, he, he was able to find, you know, the freestyle swimming stroke, the propulsion um, was, was primarily due to lift forces. And I've talked about lift forces versus drag forces in another podcast. And of course, if you, if you take my level one online course or, or in-person course, you learn a lot more about understanding what I mean by those things. Um, But he was saying that, you know, the lift forces were based primarily on Bernoulli's principle of hydrodynamic forces. Um, And from that data, he kind of helped describe an S-pulling motion. So it looks you know, it looks like an S if you're looking at from below underneath the swimmer, it would look like an S from the start of the stroke all the way to the back of the stroke. And so that's what was developed over the years. And, and doc, you know, keep in mind, doc, doc worked with a lot of amazing swimmers. Um, he worked with the nine time Olympic champion, Mark Spitz and Mark Spitz had a very distinct S in his stroke. Um, he's for those of you guys that aren't swimming historians. Mark Spitz held the mo the record for the most golds in an Olympic um, in an Olympic Games uh, with seven golds in the seventy two Munich Olympics, uh, and he held that record until two thousand eight, when Michael Phelps um, got eight in uh, Beijing. So, pretty strong record there. So, he's he's worked with high level athletes. Uh, he's, he's, he's done a lot of experimental research, but, but keep in mind, this is, again, this is the, the early pioneer of swim research. So if you look at his experiments, they weren't super detailed by say today's standards. Um, you know, by today's standards, it, it, it's almost like, Oh, well that, that was a good first try. But uh, we need to go deeper, and now with today's technology, we've really been able to go deeper. Um, but before I get to that, um, we'll 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 jump forward. So 1971 was when he published, um, or when he did a, a two-dimensional biomechanical analysis that determined this kind of S-stroke hand pattern. Um, over the years, he continued his research. And fast forward to 1994. In you know, 1994 was—that's was a pretty big gap there. You know, from 1970s, they they continue the research, but then in 1994, Rushall and a few other uh, scientists dis- disproved this theory um, using uh, basically a computer-aided 3D biomechanical analysis um, so he disproved they, or they disproved that that swim propulsion was not primarily due to lift forces based on Pernoulli's principle of hydrodynamic forces which which completely kind of blew up the swim world but but think about that gap there you know 1971 was the first two-dimensional biomechanic analysis by councilman and then in 1994, Rushall and and others disprove this using more modern technology, right? So so that's how long it took to get the technology necessary to really discover these things. And so I'm just putting that into context that Councilman was really one of the early pioneers just to start thinking more in a science-based manner. And if you think about it today in surfing, we're really right now where swimming was in 1971. We We have more modern technology, absolutely. But the studies that have been done, not just in paddling, but in surfing in general, are still in its infancy. Very much so. And we'll look back 20 years from now and we'll look back on the studies that we're doing right now going, oh, well, you know, they probably could have, those studies could have been a little bit more robust. But that's the cool thing about the scientific method is that each generation and by generation, it is not not technically a generation, but each iteration of a study builds upon the previous studies. Right. That's what the references are all about. They say, well, this study was done, but. It wasn't quite done this way, and this is how I want to improve it. Right, and this is my hypothesis. I'm going to go test that, and that's kind of the that's what makes me very excited about the things that uh, the Surf Academia is doing around the world right now. So uh, that was a bit of an aside, but but just drawing that context to where we are in the swim research world, to where we were, you know, where we are in the surf research world, to where swimming was. In the swim research world, and how long it took for them to realize a pretty significant change. I mean, up until to the early '90s, a lot of people were were teaching this S stroke. I mean, I was taught it when I was. I started competing when I was three years old, and while coaches wouldn't specifically say do this, they would say they they would give us drills along the lines of using an S stroke, and. It's just so interesting how long it took from the 1970s to the 1990s. And then now that we've disproved that one thing, it took off. Swim research really started to dive in. And in that 1994 study, using the computer-aided three-dimensional biomechanic analysis, they were able to uh, disprove the theory. But they found that freestyle propulsion was primarily attributed to drag forces based on newton's third law of motion and we all know what the third law of motion is if you've especially if you've taken my course i give you a little a little breakdown into newton and his three laws of motion but the third one is for every action there's an equal and opposite reaction and a lot of that has to do with surface area and orientation but they're is also lift propulsion as well. So they you know the the presumed S stroke S shaped stroke developed in the 2D model back in 1971 it it failed to consider body rotation as the arm went through the motion. Right? So the 1994 study took body roll into account and, and then started to develop this concept of more of a straight through pulling motion. And it really shook up the swim world, right? they they shifted their paradigm on what they thought was efficient and effective. And now it was very exciting time. Um, Bill Boomer, just to continue on with the history, Bill Boomer, who was Michael Phelps coach, you may have um, heard of him before. He's quite the stroke technician. Um, and, and then Richard Quick, who's an awesome last name, by the way, um, a US Olympic coach, they, they picked up on the new teachings kind of before even the publication came out in 1994. And Really develop these kind of buzzwords that you hear nowadays, um, like body rotation, balance, core strength in the stroke, um, and, and more and more new theories and coaching techniques started to develop in that that decade. So in you know night, late eighties, early nineties, all the way to the early two thousands, there's a whole bunch of new uh, new techniques and a lot more of coaches looking at the science of, say, throwing you know, and swinging sports and really understanding leverage and angular momentum. And boy, oh boy, did it take off from there. So in 2001, uh, another study uh, by Rewald in the biomechanics lab at, at USA Swimming, they've shown that propulsive drag forces produced by the hand stop before the hand reaches the hip and that propulsive lift forces are, are negligible through the stroke um so that was you know that was really now using computational fluid dynamics to prove certain things um and in all of this new coaching technique and practice was now supported by data and science which of course I absolutely love. Okay, um, it all it all comes back to body rotation and balance, which again, if you take my level one course, balance is steps one and two, and specifically step two has to do with the roll balance control. Um, so now jump forward to 2014. This study, um, the comparative analysis of thrust production for distinct arm pull styles in competitive swimming by, um, uh, I'm going to butcher their name, Lobeck Mittal um, at Johns Hopkins University uh, and George Washington University. These guys, they really brought a buzz to the world. And this is t- 2014. They used uh, computational fluid dynamics once again. Um, and they wanted to analyze more succinctly the difference between what they called the deep catch stroke, which is the straight through stroke and the S stroke. Okay. So you have this, this debate that's been going on since the seventies, since, you know, the, the doc councilman came out with science of swimming and, and started doing all these studies. And then you have Rushall in 1994, and then you have continued studies in early 2000s. And then you end up in 2014, these two engineers going, hey, you know what? We got technology. Let's test this. So they took uh, a bunch of Olympic caliber college students and they tested them across. They, they asked them to do the S-stroke and they asked them to do the deep catch, both in the front crawl, which is freestyle, and the and the backstroke, back crawl. Um, I, for our purposes, we just care about the front crawl. We care about freestyle and, and as it relates to surfing, paddling. Because nobody's going to be on their back paddle on their board. Though I've tried it, it's kind of fun. Um, and their results were pretty interesting, and they they supported a lot of the more modern results uh, in 1994 and in 2001, um, with the supporting a straight through stroke produces more thrust and specifically more propulsion so i'm just going to skip down to some of the results these are some of the models and we'll take a look at at these arm patterns in a bit Um, that was the uh, yeah that's backstroke this is freestyle Um, and i want to take a look at the results here in this chart and if you're just listening to this i'll describe the chart It has four different cases, backstroke one, backstroke two, front crawl one, front crawl two. We're just going to be looking at front crawl one and two. Across the top is the speed at which the swimmer is moving in meters per second. The next variable is the time in the stroke. And so the stroke duration in terms of time and then the stroke uh, distance it travels. They call it amplitude. In meters, Uh, and then the Struhal ratio, which is the amplitude um, over the speed times the duration. So, those ones aren't as important in our analysis today. Really, what we're looking at here is T sub uh, variable D in Newtons and T sub. L in Newtons, what that is, is the thrust from drag forces. TD is drag force thrust and TL is lift force thrust. And T just in Newtons is the total. Okay. And then you have this ratio of lift to drag forces. Now, just to remind you of what we're talking about here, because this can be, this can sound, if you haven't listened to my podcast on The difference between drag propulsion and lift propulsion um, in in the slipping episode, I think I discuss it. Or if you've never taken my courses, this can get a little confusing. A lot of people think that, oh, I just put my arm in and I push back through the water and that's what moves me forward. But but if we dig down into more scientifically – what is actually happening? What is causing you to move forward? We find that there it's a combination of two different forces: drag force propulsion and lift force propulsion. And what you could think of it as is drag force propulsion has more to do with the with the surface area of your arm and hand um, and the orientation of that. So very much the third law of motion. So for example. I, I give this analogy if you look at a stand-up paddle surfer and you take a look at their paddle itself and specifically the blade. If you had a paddle that's the same length, but the well, let's just specifically talk about the blade. You have one blade that's narrow and one blade that's wide. Lengthwise, they're exactly the same. Which one is going to produce more force, more propulsion? Everyone says the wider one. Well, why? That has to do with drag force propulsion. It has more surface area, and therefore, because it has more surface area, and if you orient it in the backwards direction, guess what? You're going to move forward. That is 100% drag force propulsion explanation. Now, lift force propulsion explanation is a little bit more difficult, and, and that's where I go into that Uh, a little bit more into some of the blog posts. And of course, in the class, I talk a lot about this, but lift force propulsion has to do more with differences in pressure between one side of the paddle blade and the other side of the paddle blade. So if you were to, you could experiment with this, you can place a paddle blade in the water, but only maybe... Three quarters of the way in, and pull back gently. What you'll notice is you'll notice little vortices around the edges of the blade. And what is that? That is a visual representation of lift force propulsion. What What is happening is that the uh, we talked about uh, about this in um, (laughs) a couple podcasts ago about how high pressure likes to move. To low pressure it's just a it's something that it loves to do it just can't help itself and so when you're seeing those vortices move from the side that you're pressing against to the side that you're coming from it's showing you lift force propulsion it's showing you that there's an increase in pressure and therefore, you're able to push harder against it and move and, and the, the, the resulting consequences that you move forward. So if you think about this just from a stand-up paddle surfing, paddle blade point of view, all you need to do is associate it to your arm and your hand, right? So drag force propulsion has to do with surface area and arm orientation. Lift force propulsion has more to do with With balancing how hard you push against that pressure and allowing those vortices, that high pressure to low pressure differential, to develop and then therefore push against it just enough to the point where you don't push through it. That's slipping. Slipping is when you push through that high pressure system and you don't allow those vortices and that lift propulsion to develop. How you develop that—that's in my course. You're gonna have to learn that one uh, through digging my online course and through uh, coming to work with me. But so now that we have an explanation of why they separated these two, th- again this goes back to you know 1971. Councilman just factored in lift propulsion based on Bernoulli's principle of hydrodynamic forces. In 1994, Russell said, well, no, there's more to it. There's, there's drag force propulsion. uh, Ernie Maglisco in, I want to say the nineties, outlined this um, based off other studies in his book called Swimming Faster. I want to say he looked at studies from Capert, which were around those early nineties showing again, that there's a straight backstroke not backstroke but there's a straight back hand pattern and arm pattern that produces more force and it probably has more to do with drag forces so there's all these coaches and all this science come into play in the early 90s showing that this you know thrust from drag forces plays a much stronger role than lift force propulsion what's kind of interesting about this is that they said it plays a bigger role based on the historical data we know about the S-stroke. But when we look at the results right here, it doesn't play that much more of a role than lift forces. It's almost even. Okay, so so now I'm going to go into the data and I'll describe it for people that aren't actually looking at this. But Front Crawl 2 uh, data is the, D, is the S-stroke. Front crawl one is the deep catch. So the deep catch is a straight back stroke um, of freestyle. So front crawl, but it's a, a straight back arm pattern. Whereas S stroke makes a very defined change in direction through the stroke. And so again, they took Olympic caliber swimmers and they said, Hey, can you do these two things? And what they realized, or what they what they were able to specifically scientifically measure, is that drag forces for the deep catch produced 17.8 newtons of force. Lift forces produced 19.3 newtons of force for a total of 37 newtons. Okay, so so 52% of that 37 came from lift force propulsion and 48% came from drag force propulsion. Whereas with the S-stroke, only 6.1 newtons came from drag force propulsion, and 18.4 newtons came from lift force propulsion for a total of 24.5 newtons of force. So just looking at total thrust propulsion, you have a difference of 37 newtons with the deep catch straight back arms pattern to 24.5 for the S-stroke. Okay, so large differential there. The ratio of lift to drag was much higher in the S-stroke. And that's what we would expect. That's what what it was developed for. But looking at the lift force propulsion or lift thrust, 19.3 for the straight back deep catch stroke and 18.4 for the S-stroke. So, in terms of like the lift force propulsion, they're pretty same, pretty similar. But what the S-stroke doesn't account for as much is that drag force propulsion. Why? Because it changes directions in the middle of the stroke. And when something changes directions in the middle of the stroke, it loses force. This was more defined and robust data than the early 90s but then early 90s found something similar. And so this was just adding on to that. Right? Pretty pretty amazing, right? Now, to further this kind of argument, you fast forward to 19 uh, 2017, Dr. Rod Haverlock. Show was able to visually show this through his force analysis data and his system. On the, on the screen, I'm showing a freestyler who is at two different parts of the stroke where he does the S, where he changes the hand path. And you see a distinct drop in force from just over 30 pounds of force, looks like about 33 pounds of force, down to 15 he drops half of his force before he comes back up and gets into that back propulsive phase and produces force backwards. That is an enormous drop in force. And that is a, a drop in force you can't get back. I mean, nobody's Marty McFly. Nobody has a time machine. You can't go back and be like, oh, I actually didn't want to do that. Nope, that's gone. So you got to make it up on the next stroke. And you can see actually his right hand uh, does the same thing, has that drop in the middle of the stroke. And that, you know, that drop comes from a, different, a couple of different reasons. So I use the same technology now with surfers. And um, I use Dr. Haverlock's system to portray this because it gives the most robust data. But you can see that what I teach in, in level two specifically is that this could happen from a hand path change, like what we're seeing here or it could be from slipping, which we're not seeing here. And I can visually tell you that it's not slipping because there's no cavitation around the hand, but it's more so from the hand path, which is pretty amazing. So again, we're looking straight on to the swimmer. We're looking at two frames in which he's in the middle of the stroke where that arm turns during the S-stroke. Now, Let's get back to this 19, uh, tw- uh, 2014 study by Johns Hopkins University and George Washington University. I, I do want to say that if someone were to take this at face value, like, oh, man, I'm just going to go straight, you know, straight arm all the way through, straight arm all the way through, and I'm not going to do the S anymore. But that's a that's a really poor conclusion to make right off the bat. Um, what... What was interesting, I think, mostly about this is that when we look at this CFD modeling side-by-side, the deep catch versus the S-stroke, the S-stroke, they asked the swimmers who have been swimming their whole lives, you know, they're Olympic caliber swimmers. Hey, can you do an S-stroke? And they're like, yeah, sure. No problem. They've been doing that for a while. Actually, at this stage, they were brought up to do a little bit straighter of a stroke. And they were like, yeah, can you do a straighter stroke, the deep catch? And they said, yeah, sure. And what's interesting about the deep catch versus the S-stroke is if you look at the deep catch, it still has a little bit of an S to it. It's just a a narrower S, whereas the S-stroke is a very defined S. It's almost too abrupt of an S. right? And so what what that leads me to believe, well, it led me to believe at first that these swimmers, they've just been swimming their whole life. Their hand is going to do... whatever their brain feels like it wants it to do because it's not searching for a path. The brain isn't searching for a hand path specifically. The brain is searching for pressure throughout the whole stroke. That explains part of this, why the deep catch still has a bit of an S to it. The other part of it actually has to do with biomechanics. So... If you were to do an early vertical forearm catch in the stroke and you want to keep your hand and arm vertical through the stroke because, again, drag, force propulsion requires surface area in the right orientation, which is vertical, you have to keep your elbow outside of your shoulder when you start it. And then as you come past your shoulder, you bring your elbow into your rib cage as you continue to push through. That way it keeps your forearm and your hand vertical from the front propulsive phase to the back propulsive phase. And you have constant pressure through the whole stroke. So, so the other side of that explanation of why there's a bit of a curve here is because just naturally your hand is going to turn in as you bring your elbow into your body. The other part of that explanation is that these are swimmers that are like me. They grew up in the water. And so there is... A brain training or synapse, you can say that all swimmers, if you're in the water and surfers as well, I've seen this with John, John Florence. He's been in the water his whole life. I would expect his brain to have this subtle refinement as well is when the brain doesn't sense pressure, it changes the path of the hand. Now, That has a lot to do with lift force training. And and I have a lot of drills in the level one online course and in the level one in-person course that teaches your brain to make those changes. But you, you gotta understand that this is a subconscious movement to deliberately change your hand path makes the hand move too much. So when people tell you, use an S stroke, Do not try to use an S-stroke. I don't teach it that way. I do explain the S-stroke and the deep catch. But I teach something right before this called the four phases of the underwater arm stroke. You need to understand the four phases in order to do these two strokes with any sort of conscious thought. Without having to do too much hand change and therefore reduction in force. So it's almost like when people blankly tell you to use the S-stroke, it's so much more efficient, so much easier. They're they're only partly right. Is that, yeah, it is easier. So if you look at the thrust amount, it's 24.5 Newtons versus 37. So it certainly feels easier. But is, is it as effective at moving you forward? No, as the science proves, right? But a deep catch stroke has a much much higher stroke rate, much higher stroke rate. I mean, that is incredibly high, 2.1 versus 1.17, right? So you're turning your arms over much faster with a deep catch stroke, but you're getting more thrust, and therefore you're using more energy. And this is where maybe my friends down at Cal State San Marcos can maybe test the oxygen consumption between these two because this one that the deep catch stroke i would think would use a lot more oxygen consumption than the s-stroke the s-stroke travels a further distance and so you're in it longer right and if you're in the stroke longer you end up taking fewer strokes you're cruising along so that's why i teach i teach this i teach s-stroke versus deep catch but it's after A surfer understands the four phases and the goals of each phase. It's very, very important. So the next question is, how how does this impact surf? How does this whole story impact surfing? Well, I've kind of touched on a little bit. Swim research doesn't directly impact surf research. It indirectly impacts it because Yeah. Swimming and surfing are different. I've, I've shown that through my paddling uh, analysis is that there are, there are differences between surfing, paddling and swimming. Absolutely. Body rotation is a perfect example, right? We are definitely not as rotated as, as, uh, swimmers, but we do have rotation involved. what we can do though is we use this research that's been over 50 years of research here to start to test these things in our world in our surf world right? i would love for this study to be redone on a surfboard right? i, I want to see this created on a surfboard but for now we can use the theory, we can use the anecdotal evidence, we can use some of the evidence that I've pulled specifically using the force analysis data, and we can determine some temporary solutions until we can get some more defined data for specifically surfing. So in other words, use the deep catch when you're sprinting or you need high acceleration in a short amount of time. Use something like the S- stroke, but don't try to do the S stroke in all the other paddling, like efficiency paddling. But that's the, that's the key there is not trying to make this hand pattern because if you try to make this hand pattern, you're going to lose force. And it's already been proven even if you you don't lose as much force. Let's say you know, uh, you don't drop the force curve down as much, it's still a drop right so application wise we can use this information as a springboard springboard for more studies right and like i said i'm not going to give you the answer outright because i don't know the answer but we're at the infancy of surf research this is a great example where in swimming it took them like 40 you know 30 years 30 years 20, 20 to thirty years to really understand whether the S stroke was superior, and they disproved it, right? And and now they're they're talking about different stroke techniques based on the event that you're swimming, right? And so so you know, fast forward to 2022, 2023 now, they're looking at that that again. They're standing on the, sh- on the shoulders of the scientists that came before them. Were the scientists that came before them, their studies, super robust? Maybe, maybe not, right? But we keep standing on the shoulders of those that came before us to make things better and to clarify the picture in front of us. So right now, if you look at surf research, we are the pioneers, and I, I'm not saying we, I'm saying the guys at CSU San Marcos, the guys down at University of Western Australia, um, the, uh, the guys doing surf research down in Australia as well, New Zealand, Portugal. I know there's some research being done there. Those are the pioneers of surf research right now and there's going to be more. And I, I look forward to the results of those. What was also really interesting, just as a side note, as I'm going through, there was a study I read, and maybe I'll do this on another podcast. There's a study I read on the health of the shoulder um, and the biomechanics of the the swimming stroke. And they said in the study, something along the lines of uh, a good training method to control the roll a little bit more is to put a surfboard underneath them and teach them the, the paddling, uh, the swim stroke that way. And I thought that was genius. Like what a what an interesting crossover that you're gonna have swimmer swim swim research and swim training that has, has clearly decades, decades under their under their belt. And they're gonna say, Oh yeah, let's take a surfboard underneath them. So yes, they're different, but man, can we draw a lot of similarities? And specifically, maybe this is another episode, the roll amount. Uh, in in relation to the underwater arm stroke and the hand path is something that would be very interesting to look at. Um, so with that, I hope that this helped you. I hope that it kind of got your brain started thinking a little bit about what you do in the ocean when you're paddling around. Again, anything to do with the underwater arm stroke It needs to be trained to be subconscious. It just happens too quick. So to consciously think about your hand pattern is wrong. So think more about consciously thinking about the pressure that you're feeling through the stroke and what direction that pressure is in. I will give you a hint that most of the surfers that I bring uh, in for analysis and I see from beginner all the way to pros. Pros are pretty... I've seen a lot of... Potential problems with the a, a, a pro surfer's paddling stroke from before the, they hit the shoulder is that their direction of some of their uh, force is in the wrong direction. So just be forewarned; it's got to be backwards, guys. Got to be backwards. I've talked about that on the podcast before. Um, we need that arm to be more vertical before you start really bringing the heat. But yeah, give this a try. Try more straight straight back and focus on pressure versus trying to move your hand a certain pattern. There are a lot of reasons why the quote-unquote S-stroke feels easier. I think I talked a little bit about it. Um, it produces less thrust. That's why it feels easier, for one. You're traveling over a longer distance, so the distance from the start of the stroke to the end of the stroke, your hand actually goes through a longer distance because it curves. Um The other thing is a lot of people will bring the hand up close to the board when they do something like this. So it's actually not an S-stroke. It's like a strange three-dimensional S-stroke with like a hiccup. And that one feels easier because the water close to the bottom of the board is flowing in the direction that your hand is moving in. And so when you place your hand into a flow of water that's moving in that direction, it just feels easier. Um, so there's a, lot of, there's a lot of issues with that. So just to kind of dispel some of the misinformation that's out there um, and get you thinking a little bit more about, about using science in surfing. Well, that's enough of my rant for today. I really appreciate you listening and watching. If you guys are interested in my course, uh, just go to surfingpaddling.com. We love to have you in the online course. Uh, Love you to have you uh, in-person courses if you can make it out here to the Bay Area. And until we speak again, I'll see you in the water.